The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus prayed for his disciples, saying, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let me begin by wishing us all a happy Mother's Day. A few years ago, I preached uh, on Mother's Day, and the lesson was about the Ethiopian eunuch from the Book of Acts. And I'm not going to go there again, ever. <laughs> but I asked my sister was very wise, what the Ethiopian eunuch had to do with Mother's Day, and she thought for a minute, and she said, well, he had a mother, too. <laughs> and so do we all, and many mothers in, in many cases, birth mothers and adoptive mothers and godmothers and aunties and teachers, and in a sense, all of us who nurture have that vocation of motherhood, as Christ does 
So happy Mother's Day to us all. Um, and now that I've gone off script, I'll get back. During our contemplative days this past week, I read a marvelous little book by an Orthodox bishop, Seraphim Sigrist, titled A Life Together. It's an examination of the concept of sobernost, a virtually untranslatable Russian word pointing to the experience of unity and community and co-inherence. It reminded me of the equally untranslatable African term Ubuntu, which in the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu expresses the reality I am because we are. I found particularly exciting Bishop Seraphim's reference to the passage of St. John's Gospel, chapter 16, that we heard this morning. It is a portion of Jesus' farewell prayer for himself and his disciples, placed immediately before his betrayal and death. Indeed, the whole set of chapters in John's Gospel, beginning at chapter 13 and known as Jesus' farewell discourse, has long fascinated me. <clears throat> and if I had to spend my time on a desert island with only a few pages of scripture, these chapters would be among the few I would choose. I love the noble language and the complex imagery. I love the transcendent feel of them. I love the pathos and the longing and the hope and the deep unity they express. But the thing is, I don't think I understand them in the least. I feel like the disciples who, in the middle of the discourse in chapter 16, say, we do not know what he is talking about. So at least I'm in good company. Bishop Seraphim sees in these lofty words, prayed by Jesus, an expression of sobernost, that profound unity of all believers and, indeed, of all creation. And he goes on to describe these words, this prayer, as the completion of the initiation of Jesus' apostles and all those who believe through their word, which is to say, the initiation of us all. Initiation rituals are present, of course, in every human society. They generally mark and effect the passage from one stage of life to another, most dramatically in the passage from childhood to adulthood, from partial membership to full belonging, from virginity to fertility. They're generally characterized by social isolation and by physical and emotional challenges and by secret knowledge or power passed down to the initiate who is then expected to take up a new role in the community or tribe. Bishop Seraphim points out two distinct characteristics of Jesus' initiation of the apostles and of us 
as given in John's Gospel. First, the initiation is given not to an individual, but to a whole group, precisely because the mystery into which they and we are being initiated is that of community itself, and specifically the church, as the image and foretaste of a redeemed and reconciled and reconciling humanity. Jesus introduces this at the outset by washing the disciples' feet and showing through symbolic action as much as by words that it is in mutual, even sacrificial service that we find the beating heart of a new life. And secondly, Jesus' initiation of his friends is not primarily by means of or in service of power or knowledge, important as these might be. Rather, it is an initiation into love and for love, as we have been hearing so often these past weeks. Jesus prays that God's love may be in us, and he in us, and we in him. And in today's passage, Jesus prays for his disciples. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them in your name, that they may all be one. Jesus still prays that for us. Whispering in the Father's ear the deepest desires of our human hearts and minds, desires and longings that we, by and large, have yet to recognize or name in ourselves, either individually or corporately. Jesus whispers them so that God may protect and purify and deepen them and at last reveal them to us. This is what the glorified Jesus does. This is the work of the ascended Lord, which is why I love this period after Ascension Day, Ascension Tide. Far from being a useless metaphor held captive by an archaic and outmoded triple-decker view of the universe, the Ascension speaks to us of the ultimate fruits of Christ's resurrection, our human nature and the whole created order raised up close, close to the heart of God, never again to be separated from divinity. We have there the one who pleads for us, speaks to us, and works with us through his promised spirit right now, today, urging us onward to take the next right step, directing us in ways large and small, and surprising us daily. Bishop Seraphim concludes his consideration of Sobernost, of Christian community and co-inherence, by likening it to Indra's net. Admittedly, I know next to nothing about Indra or his net. He is an Indian deity whose story has many layers and a complex history and various levels of meaning. So let me quote the good bishop. 
In the wonderful net of that old Indian god, there is a gem at each intersection, and in each gem, the reflection of every other. In the wonderful net of that old Indian god, there is a gem at each intersection, and in each gem, the reflection of every other. This image of the fishing net made of gems bound together by lines of mutual reflection has enjoyed a certain popularity in the last 40 years or so in the new physics or cosmology as a symbol of the intimate and eternal interrelationship and mutual dependency of all things, people, planet, cosmos, everything. As such, it is a rich and tantalizing visual. I am put in mind of Thomas Merton's vision that we are each of us points of light shining like the sun and reflecting all others in the web that constitutes the real. But according to Bishop Seraphim, and again I quote, we see in John 17, that the lines that join the gems of Indra's net are not merely lines of mutual reflection, but rather lines of love by which each sustains and creates each in the diagram of the glory, to use John's word here for spirit, and all are created, sustained, and completed in one. Imagine that, a universe in the truest sense of the term, cosmic unity in diversity, complexity interrelated and codependent, created and connected and nurtured and sustained in love, by love, for love. To echo Brother Aidan's Easter sermon, now that's an ascension worth celebrating. So brothers and sisters, let us keep the feast. And now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed as is most justly due, all might, majesty, power, and dominion, world without end.